Well, what we're going to be talking about this morning is waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Um, somebody wrote a song back a few years ago. said, Waiting on a Woman. Amen. How many of you have heard that song? Waiting on a Woman? Yeah? Okay. A few. I mean... Yeah. Uh, you block that out? Oh, well... I don't think waiting on a woman is a bad thing. Y'all not block that out. I've been waiting on my wife for 35 years. And, and I'm, I'm enjoying every minute of it. And especially around her birthday. Amen. Today happens to be her birthday. And, and uh, I'm going to romance her a little bit special. Amen. For a, She don't have a birthday. She has a birth week. Wait, waiting, waiting is a part of life. Amen. There's a difference between waiting, though. You wait on somebody in the sense that, you know, like you're a waitress or a waiter and you're waiting on them at their at the restaurant and you're taking care of their needs and you're waiting hand and foot on people. And then there's the waiting on a woman thing. That's like, so that's different. Now, that's the that's the thing that you probably said you were talking about wanting to forget. But there's a time in our life that um, that practice comes in handy. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Psalm 62. And uh, we'll find our verses there, but there's some other verses that I want to talk about and share with you. <clears throat> Actually, before we get to that, in this psalm, and by the way, it's a psalm of David, and uh, David mentions... His soul waiting on the Lord um, twice in this one very short psalm. It's uh, it's only twelve verses. We're only going to be looking at verses one through eight. But um, the the waiting that David is talking about doing with the Lord is him waiting on God to show up in his life, waiting on God to hear and to answer. His prayers and His cries, His pleas to the Lord. Now, that takes sometimes more patience than we as human beings can actually muster. I'm glad that I have the power of the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of me because it is by His power. You know, the Bible says, Faithful is He that calleth you, who He also will do it. So when God puts you in a predicament that is above and over your capacity, over your head, past your abilities, aren't you glad that you have the power of God living on the inside of you who He also will do it when you can't? And by the way, some people say, well, God never calls us to do anything that we can't do. Everything that God calls us to do is stuff we can't do. We are flesh, we are lost, we are dead, we are sinners, we are separated from God. And the very first act that God calls a dead sinner to do is to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, how can a dead man, spiritually dead man, commit a spiritual act of faith? See, God does that inside of us as well. He illuminates, regenerates, wakes up, and draws us to Himself. But uh, there's some there's some things here in this... Uh, this text of Psalms that I want to take a, a look at where it says that um, it was about a half an hour of, of wait. You look at verses 1 through 8 and let's read this. 
In Psalm 62, it says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God. Uh, From Him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing, uh, bowing wall shall uh, you shall be, and as a tottering or teetering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They they delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait thou upon God, only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge. For us, Selah. Now that word Selah there is really just a musical note because this is a psalm and a psalm is a song and this was sang uh, at worship services. But what David is, is talking about is him pouring out his heart and praying and begging and seeking God, seeking God's face. And it seems like, have you ever had, when you pray to God, it seems like the heavens are like brass and God is nowhere to be found. You're hurting, you're going through trials, tribulation, maybe six, maybe, you know, maybe financial things. There, there's all types of heartache that are going on in our homes, our lives, our families. And we cry out to God and sometimes it seems like God's just not there. And you beg Him and you plead with Him. And you wind up saying, wow, I've said everything I know to say. I I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to say. The world says, don't just stand there, do something. You see, the Bible says, don't just do something. Stand there and wait upon the Lord. Because sometimes we get in a hurry and we start praying and begging and seeking and asking. And we forget that God is not here on our timeline. That God has placed us in His timeline. Well, there's some verses back in Revelation that kind of speak to this situation that I want to talk to you about. In Revelation chapter 5, it speaks uh, of the lion of the tribe of Judah prevailing to open the scroll. Now, there was a scroll and it had seven seals and nobody was found on earth to be open, to be able to break the seals and to open this scroll. <clears throat> so the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is none other than Jesus Christ, prevails and says, hey, here am I, I'll open the scroll. So he starts opening the scroll one seal at a time. And in Revelation chapter 6 and 7, Christ starts opening the seals one after another and He goes through the first six seals and He comes to the seventh seal. And the seventh seal is actually going to to contain the end of the world. And you think, wow, He's just rolled right up to the end of the age, the end of the earth, where everything's going to be destroyed. And then the Bible says in chapter 8 and verse 1, it says this, And when He had opened the seventh seal, so at the beginning of chapter 1, He opens the seventh seal, 
And when he opens that seventh seal, it says there was a silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. Never took place before. Heaven is a place of worship. Heaven is a place of millions upon billions of angels and angelic hosts standing around the throne crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. There are trumpets, there's music, there is worship going on in heaven all the time. And all of a sudden when Jesus Christ opens this seventh seal, oh and by the way, when He opens the seventh seal, it reveals seven trumpets that are given to seven angels. And those seven trumpets, every time a trumpet blows, there's a wrath of God that is poured out on the earth until the seventh trumpet is blown. And then of course... That comes the end time. But what I'm wanting you to look at is this 30 minutes. 30 minutes in heaven that there is absolute silence. All of the angels, all of the host of heaven standing around the throne in dead, absolute silence. And then it goes on to say that there was a, a strong aroma. It's an incense that, that was burned. And in verse 2 it says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. This golden censer is a bowl that holds the incense. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with prayers for all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And I thought about that and I says, you know, there's another place that it mentions that. And uh, you can turn back to Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 12 and 13. And I want you to listen to what this says all the way back in uh, Leviticus in verse 12 of chapter 16. It says, And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord. And the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. Now the high priest would go in and he would take the incense into the Holy of Holies and he would turn the incense, set it on fire, and it would fill the Holy of Holies to where it would cover the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the seraphim that were on top of it and that it would purify. Now listen, this is a picture. I want you to, don't, don't miss this. Because it's really, really important what's taking place. Not only during this 30 minutes in heaven where this angel is burning the incense, but the burning of the incense is a picture of something. And you can find that picture in what we just read in Leviticus. Leviticus is drawing a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the high priest for the church. And it's His blood that is the incense, the purifier of our sin. Now when this angel takes the, the incense and the golden censer and burns incense on the golden altar, what he is doing is bring a purification. There are, there are people under the altar, under the throne of God, crying out, How long, O Lord? How long before you go back to earth? 
send vengeance upon those who martyred us, who murdered us for our faith. And the Bible is telling us that those prayers are being purified by the incense of the angel on the altar of God, which is a picture of the blood of Christ cleansing us that our prayers might be able to reach heaven and that God might hear and answer what it is that is going on in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives, in our families. That 30 minutes represents some time in our lives, when we're crying out to God, and the people under the throne were crying out to God, the people on earth were crying out to God, there were seals being broken and wraths being poured out and prayers going up, and all of a sudden it just stops in heaven. It doesn't stop on earth, but our lives keep rolling, doesn't it? The pain keeps coming, the suffering. Keeps showing up the trials, the tribulations, the heartaches, the things that we go through on a daily basis that we cry out to God for. And my friend, when we come to those times in our life that we wonder where God is, why does it feel like the heavens are turned to brass and that my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and coming back to me rather than going to the ears of God? I want you to realize that, that there is an angel with a bowl of incense. Amen. That is a picture of the blood of Christ that purifies the cries and the prayers of us sinful people here on earth. I want you to look again at those verses in Psalm. We're going to slow down just a a little bit and look at these verses. Of course, it's difficult for us at times to be still and to just wait before the silence of God, just wait during and through and, and holding on in spite of God seeming like He is nowhere to be found. And we're waiting and needing and looking for a divine touch from God on our homes, our families, our lives, our businesses, or whatever it is that we're going through. But I want you to look at verse 1 and you see on whom we are waiting. Now, the title of the message Waiting on the Lord has already given that away. But you look at at verse 1 again. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. And and I like like the word truly that he opens with in the psalm. Because truly means uh, for sure, without, without a doubt. Truly, with everything that I am, I am genuinely waiting upon God. Now sometimes we so hurriedly spit out our prayers and pour them out. It's almost like we're regurgitating things and just letting them fall out of our mouth before we lay down and go to sleep. And sometimes we even fall asleep in the midst of our prayers. And my friend, I think that that's not truly waiting upon God. That's not truly pouring our hearts out. But when things go bad, when things go awry and go amok, then certainly we get a little more serious with God, and then we can add that word truly in our lives. Truly, I am seeking out God with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of my being. And even though I am truly seeking out God, it seems as though He's nowhere to be found. Uh, truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From Him cometh my salvation. Do we really truly believe that that is true? Certainly, my soul 
pauses and thinks and calls out to God. The one at whose door we stand, you know, I stand at the door and knock. That's Jesus knocking on the heart's door, right? Wrong. Now, I know that's in Revelation chapter 1. And it's talking about the seven churches of Asia Minor. And it says, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear me and open the door, then I'll come in and sup with him. When God is knocking on the door, He's not knocking on the door of our heart. He's knocking on... Isn't it sad that Jesus Christ has to knock on the door of the church? Those seven churches of Asia Minor are a picture of all of the church age, from the beginning of the church when Christ started it, all the way to the Laodicean church, which is the end of the church age where we are now. And certainly... For the most part, Christ is hard to be found inside a lot of the churches. The house of bread, Bethlehem, has so very little bread in it that people are starving to death for the Word of God. And when things go wrong in their lives and they cry out to God, and instead of God knocking on the door to come in, we're knocking on the door begging God to open the doors and windows of heaven that He might pour out a blessing on us that we can't receive. And yet, we get silence. And one of the reasons we get silence is because He's knocking on the door of the church and nobody's letting them in. We go through the motions, we read our Bibles, we say our prayers, but there's very little real worship that goes on in the house of God. Who, who we should wait on is the Lord. You see, and when, when you use the word Lord, it's more than just waiting upon God. We know that He's God. We know that He's Lord. Whether He's Lord of our lives or not, we don't have to call upon Him or make Him Lord. Just as He is God without us doing anything, He's God. Without us doing anything, He is Lord. But my friend, until we bow to His Lordship, we are not putting Him on the throne of our hearts and our lives, our homes, our families. Well, secondly, you look at the second part of verse 1 and you see why we should wait upon the Lord. Uh, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse, uh, the second part of verse 1. Why? Uh, because from Him cometh my salvation. Verse 2, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. What does that mean, greatly moved? I shall not be moved out of my rut. Are you in a rut? Well, some ruts are good to be in. If you're in the rut or in the habit of being faithful to church, reading your Bible, saying your prayers, repenting of your sins, turning away from the things of the flesh of the world, you see, I realize that my only hope in this world, my only salvation, not only everlasting life salvation and heaven for eternity, but my only salvation from the ins and outs of this life, the ups and downs, the heartaches, the trials, the tribulations, my only salvation from those things really does not rest in my financial stability it doesn't rest in my home, my family, my, my trust in the government, militarily or financially. But really, truly, our, our hope, our salvation rests in the hands of God. And still we... Well, first, you've got to really believe that before you really start living like that, right? 
You see, we come to church and we go through the motions. And the reason we go through the motions and are not really surrendering and submitting our life to the Lordship, hiding the Word of God in our heart that we might not sin against Him, taking all of the Word of God, not just the pieces that we like and that we want and that we feel like we can benefit from, but even the ones that cost us time and, and things. You know, putting all of those things into action in our lives until we really believe that that is necessary. We'll never actually carry out those duties in our life. But when we don't, then we, we realize that the Lord being my salvation, and that what it, it said in verse 2, He's my rock, my salvation, my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Well, I shall be greatly moved when trials and tribulations and heartache and suffering comes if God is not my salvation, my defense, and the things that I need in my life. When things are going well. He's not just. It's not just because of. Who he is. He's God. But it's because of. What. What he is. He only. He and he alone. Is my rock. What is a rock? A rock is a foundation. A rock is something I stand on. And until I have a good, solid foundation under my home, my family, my life, my business, everything that I am, everything that I have, then everything that I'm standing on is going to be sinking sand. It's going to be unstable. He's my rock. He's my stability. He's my salvation. He's what keeps me from sinking. He's my defense. Boy, I... I think about the nation of Israel when they would go up against all of these other armies. Every one of them were greater and mightier than the nation of Israel. And yet God, well I love that, but God. You see, God showed up on their behalf. As a matter of fact, a lot of times they would be surrounded by a multitude of of military and, and they were trapped and had no way to go. Certainly not enough men to defend themselves. They woke up the next morning and there were corpses piled everywhere. God had already done the work in the middle of the night while the nation of Israel slept, but it was because of their love and their faithfulness and their commitment to God. Why should we wait? Because He's my rock. He's my salvation. He is my defense. My soul waiteth only upon the Lord. What is it that you're putting your confidence, your faith, your trust in? What is it that is your rock or your foundation? Why should we wait upon the Lord? Well, how should we wait upon the Lord? We're going to skip verse uh, 3 and 4. And look just at verse 5 and 6. And it says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. He repeats Himself. But He repeats Himself based upon what He said in verse 5. My soul, wait thou, He's speaking to Himself, Only upon God. Why? For my expectation. Again, what is your expectation? How should you wait on the Lord expectantly? Do you go to God and you ask and you talk to God in your prayer life and you rush through it and you don't even think about who you're talking about or to much less what you're talking about? Because I've I've prayed to Him so many times, so often in times of 
of stress. And he didn't come through. He didn't show up. He didn't he didn't help. And now I know I'm supposed to pray, so I pray because I'm supposed to. I don't pray because I believe that he's really going to do anything. I'm not sure he can. And the reason I'm not sure he can is because I've never really seen him do it. That's a sad testimony. And may I say that if we are praying to a God that never hears and answers our prayers, then we need to make sure that He is actually our God. Are we His children? Do we know Him? Have we repented and turned away from our sin and surrendered our lives, fallen in love with Christ to begin with? Have we submitted and surrendered our hearts, our lives, everything that we are to everything that He is? That and that alone brings salvation. And only salvation brings the hand of God. For we know that whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. And if we're living in sin and we're not being chastened, then that's a good evidence that we don't know the Lord, that we're not His children. If we're praying to Him and He doesn't hear and answer and come to our aid and meet our needs, God is a providential God. That is who He is, not only what He is. And certainly He loves to hear and answer the prayers of His faithful and obedient children. My friend, if we're not faithful, if we're not obedient, then we wonder why we should even pray and ask God for help. My friend, if you're living in that, in that dilemma, it's almost like a prison. I have a head knowledge of the facts, but I don't have a heart knowledge of the truth. I know what the Bible says. I believe that there's a God. You can believe in God and go to hell. You can believe in God and not be saved because it's not believing in God, but it's believing God that changes your destiny. It's only believing what God says. And God says a lot of stuff. And we need to hide that Word of God in our heart that we might not sin against God. And the might not sin against God is what opens the door for God's blessings in our life. For Him to hear and to answer. The first prayer God hears from a lost person is what? God, I'm lost. I have unconfessed, unrepented of sin in my life. I've sinned against Thee and Thee only. Have I sinned? I know You sent Your Son to die for me. Not a plan, not a way, but a person. You died for me and now I surrender my life to You. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Save my soul. My friend, if you've never done that, then you, you don't have a foundation to stand on when you go to God with the things that are going wrong in your life. The first prayer God hears from a saved person that has sin in their life that is unconfessed and unrepented of is the same prayer as the lost person. Not that I need salvation, but we know that God hears not the prayer of sinners. And if I'm a saved person living in sin, the first prayer God's going to hear from my life is, God, I have sin in my life. I confess, I repent, I turn away from that sin. I ask you to forgive me and strengthen me. Help me, God, to be more faithful to you than I've ever been in the past. And then that opens the door for God to hear the prayers of our needs in our life and our family's lives. How should we wait expectantly? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 says this, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But 
Boy, I hate that there's a but behind a verse like that. But He will not supply all of our needs according to the riches of the glory by Christ Jesus if we are not submissive to His will and His way. Well, we see who we trust, why we trust, how we wait on the Lord. But now you look at verse 8 and you'll see the result of our waiting. Who we wait on, why we wait on Him, how we wait on Him. But the result of waiting on Him in the right way produces something in our lives. You look again at verse 8. It says, Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You see, there's going to be a clear and encouraging testimony to the people around us in our homes, our families, our church, our community, in our lives, our concentric circle of influence. There's going to be a testimony to the people around us of what our God does in our lives when we are faithful to Him. Now I want you to know something. That we're going to be a testimony for the Lord one way or the other. There is going to be a result of our waiting on the Lord. Whether we wait patiently and expectantly, we will get one result. If we wait impatiently and unexpectedly, we're going to get a different result. And the people around us, in our homes, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our concentric circle of influence, they're watching you. Y'all... Presumably, as your pastor are watching me and seeing how God responds in my life. Is God taking care of Him? Meeting His needs? Blessing Him? Son, I want you to know something. There is not one thing on this earth that I need. God has been better to me than I could have ever hoped and dreamed. I think that that is true. Even when we go through trials and tribulations, I'm not saying that I don't have rough times. But I'm saying that even through the rough times, God is a blessing to me. He's there. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Is what He teaches us. And we can depend on that. We can trust that. When I said that I've been living with Teresa now for 35 years and boy, what a, what a blessing that has been in my life. I think I put something out on Facebook about how God has blessed me with a, with a woman to love. And life to live, the church, the prison, the family, all of those things. Listen, we have heartaches, we have suffering, we have trials and tribulations. But through it all, God is there. I hope and pray that He's there for you. Every time you call upon Him, you feel His presence. 
the greatest gift that a person can possibly give to another person is the gift of an example of what Christianity is really all about. Loving God not because of the blessings, but in spite of the suffering and the trials and the tribulations, and being faithful to Him no matter what, and then sometimes waiting that 30 minutes where there's silence in heaven, and the heavens, the sky feels like brass, and you cry out, and it seems like He's not there. And yet you're willing to still be faithful to Him. Because I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. And that day is the day that I'm going to stand before Him and give an account of my life. My friend, He's able to keep me. Keep me to that day. He's able to keep you as well. Commit your heart. Commit your love. Commit your life. Commit everything that you are to everything that He is. He's the only thing in this world that is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for Your grace, God. It's unmerited favor that You pour out on us every day. God, we don't deserve it. But God, we thank You for it. Help us, God, not to only thank You with our lips, lip service. But God, help help us to serve You day in and day out with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of our being to lay our lives on the altar. God, that we might glorify You as our heart's desire. And we'll praise You for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I ask you to take a